following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. The question today, and it's kind of interesting because I didn't put a question mark on it, is who is blessed? Because it's not just a question, it's also a statement. Who is blessed? Now, the word blessed has kind of fallen on hard times. We were talking about this a little bit last night. You know, because there's, there's different words, there's different meanings, I should say, behind the word blessed. There are some people who might come over here and they might say, well, I'm blessed. You know, and you put a little southern drawl on that and, and immediately you can start to kind of feel a cultural thing going, right? I'm blessed, right? You know, now we're talking prosperity, in, 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 the, in the earthly realm, you know, you're like, you know, do you have, do you have, you know, are you blessed, right? You know, like that, you got to just pull it out a little, string it out a little bit. Then over here, there's a different kind. There's the, sort of the other, the other ditch, and there's the blessed, right? You know, there's the, you know, you got to bring in the James Earl Jones voice a little bit, blessed, right? And I, I can't do that. But he goes like four octaves lower than I do. Um, but as we're talking about the idea of the word blessed, what I hope that we would learn today is Jesus' definition for that word and sort of shed some of the cultural stuff that that has because we're doing the Beatitudes, right? You know, everybody's like, oh, the Beatitudes are great. They make you feel good, give you some warm fuzzies. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. There are no warm fuzzies here. We're talking about life-changing, earth-shaking, heaven-comes-down kind of stuff. And it's so important that we, that we grow in this because... When you understand how we receive blessing, why we receive blessing, on what basis do you have your blessing, I'm going to bet that's different than what we all grew up with thinking. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Now, for those of you who haven't seen this before, this is the MLV. This is Mark's literal version. So it might vary in a couple of, lang- a couple of language points from your translation, but it's my translation. And, and the reason for this is when I was at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, um, one of my professors was Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, who is this like, you know, Greek Jedi and all of those things like that. And, and I had his class, well, it was sort of the Matthew Light class because he's this, the Matthew scholar, right? And it was called Synoptic Gospels, which was supposed to include Luke and Mark, but it was mainly Matthew. And he really, really worked us over on this. We had to take tests about this, translation and everything. So it's kind of like, you have to do this. And, and his, his concern was this is that when you put the word blessed at the beginning, like the King James does, and because the King James did this, and it became this, like we read it every, every year in church, then we all kind of have this idea where we say, blessed are the peacemakers. But you know, when you hear it like that, it kind of like becomes an if-then statement. If I'm a peacemaker, then I'm blessed. If I am this, then I'm blessed. And you know, there's a sense in which that's true, but I want you to hear it this way. The poor in spirit are blessed. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So it's not like if you're poor in spirit, then you're blessed. I mean, that's true. But the issue is, the issue is God gave you and me the kingdom. And that bears the question, what does poor in spirit mean? Well, let's just start with the word poor, right? What does poor mean? You might say, well, someone who doesn't have a lot. Right? And I would agree, that's a good definition. It, the other possibility is that someone who is not good at something, or just not good in general. And I would like, yep. 
And when, it, and when we ask which one of those is, is in play here, all of the above, right? Yes, we, that's our another time we say yes. The poor in spirit mean those who don't have anything good going on. They, they both don't have the resources of their spirit and those, the ones that they do have aren't good. We're poor in spirit. This is where Jesus begins. He's, he's, he's reminding us of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor. You and I are the poor. Who are the poor in spirit? Those who have nothing to offer. Now he was saying this in the context of a community of believers, or a community of worshipers anyway. I don't know. We don't, the, the question of belief is, is at hand because they said, no, 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 it's about how what you do. It's about doing these things that results in those things. It's about what you do. It's about how hard you try. It's about how well you keep the law. Right? And, and Jesus is actually, it's the ones who have nothing to offer who receive the kingdom of heaven. So if you're sitting there going, and like, I want you to do this. Like in your mind, I want you to sort of unveil your spiritual resume in your mind. How's your spiritual resume going? Do you pray 10 or 20 times a day? Now, if, it's, if you're like me, it just depends on how much traffic there is, right? So Because here's how it goes. Like if, someone is, if someone's on the highway and I can't pass them, then I begin to sin, right? That's how that works. And then, and then I'm like, oh, Lord, please help me have patience and help me have it right now. And, 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 and then the other thing that I'll do is like, oh, Lord, please help me love my neighbor because they learned how to drive out of a Cracker Jack box or something like that. And you know, this is the kind of thing that's going on in my heart, right? How's your spiritual resume? Does it have a lot of good stuff on it? Because mine doesn't. I mean, do I have a little more on it than I did 30 years ago? Maybe. Maybe also on the bad side. I don't know. Depends on who you ask. And I don't want to have the conversation, right? Because this is not fun. Here's my point. Whatever you have on your spiritual resume, chuck it because you don't need it, and it's no good anyway. Come to Jesus Christ with nothing. And you might be sitting there saying, Mark, are you telling me that the people who, are, who have nothing to offer, who have nothing to bring to the table, those are the ones who receive the kingdom of God? And I would say to you, no, I'm not telling you that. The Son of Man is telling you that. That's what he says. If you are poor in spirit, then you are blessed. There's the if-then statement, but not what we would expect. It's the upside-down kingdom. You, why do you have it? Because you have it. You are that because you, of who you are. Who is blessed? You are. Who is blessed? You are. You are blessed. This is the promise. Now, you might say, well, like, how does that play out? Like, how does that really work? Because do we really believe this? Let's look at a concrete example from Matthew chapter 9. So we're skipping ahead a few chapters. But what we're going to do, we're going to put these on the screen. We're going to zoom in on them. You, you stay with me here because we're just going to look at a really simple little episode where Jesus goes to Matthew's house. So Matthew was a tax collector. And um, Jesus said to him, I want you to go with me. And so part of that process was Jesus, uh, you know, I don't know how it worked. We don't know if, did Matthew invite Jesus over for dinner? Or did Jesus invite himself over? I think it's probably a little bit of both. And so 
we want whatever happened, Jesus is now having dinner at Matthew's house. Let's take a look at this. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, I love how the NIV puts that in quotes, that's a correct way to do it, came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, we always like to remind you that in their culture, eating with someone was identifying with them. So, he, so for Jesus to sit down at the table with those people, he was saying, these are my people. These are my people. Take a look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, we have, to, we have to pause and define the word Pharisees. Now, you might have heard that word. If you grew up in church, you know the story. The Pharisees are actually one of the antagonists in the story. These are, these are quote-unquote, the bad guys in the story um, because they're the ones who are constantly attacking Jesus. What's ironic is they're the religious people. Yeah. They are the ones who... They're, where they came from is they were a group that came out of, so you've got to remember, that, here's the whole Old Testament story in 20 seconds, is you had, like, you know, you had the people of Israel, they had a bunch of conflict and a mess, and then they rejected God's word, and they didn't do what he said, and then people came in and destroyed their country and took them off into exile over a course of, of quite a few years and in separate sections. They were in exile, and then, and then the Lord let them come back. And when they came back, they had a real mess on their hands, their whole country was destroyed, and they didn't have God's word anymore. And so this group arose that was like, we got to get people back into God's word. So the, the idea was a good one, right? That's a good, that's a good idea. And they became known as the Pharisees. And their goal was to get people to become faithful. Faithful to God. Because we don't want God to destroy our nation again, like he did the last time. And so we need to become faithful and so there, over the course of time, their way of becoming faithful was they had, you had to do more, you had to try harder, and you had to get better. And you had to obey the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. There's 613 commands in those first five books. And what they had done is they had developed a system by which they could keep all of those laws. So they're, they're very quite proud. We learned from the other parts of Matthew before this, they're very proud of their accomplishments. They keep the law. They're faithful. They are righteous. And they ask his disciples, why does your teacher, see our teachers are righteous, why does your teacher eat, translate, identify himself with, want to be among tax collectors and sinners? Take a look at Jesus' answer, verse 12. Because he's the heart doctor. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now this is one of those statements. It's like, how do, how do I preach on that? You just need to read it. <laughs> you need to hear it. You need to let it sink into your heart, right? Because this is the truth. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We said today that we were going to answer the question, what is Lent during our whole service today? And I hope you've been seeing this theme pop up again and again, and it's right there on the screen. It's in our hearts right now by God's Word, by His Spirit, I should say. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We do Lent. We, we celebrate this season to remind us we need a doctor. We need healing because we are sick. We are people who are, who are filled with sin. We... 
We are people who struggle with it. And if we pretend that we don't, well, we saw in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, then we deceive ourselves. And so what the traditional thing to do is, and what the Pharisees were doing, is they were saying, well, what we need to do is we just need to try harder. Because isn't that, I mean, that's what we all say. Like, you know, I, I, I started my weight loss program, and I lost a little weight, and then it stopped. And then I'm like, what do I got to do? I got to try harder. Well, I do. But that's just for losing weight. What about with my relationship with God? How do I become more righteous, if, if we can allow that language? How do I grow in my faith? How do I actually stop sinning so much? Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So if you're sitting there, and this is the whole point, because so often in our lives, and we, we were talking about this last night at the grind, and that is that so often people will treat the church as if it's not a safe place. Right? Because you know why? It's not. At least it's not nearly safe enough. What do we mean by that? So we're here, we're here proclaiming throughout this entire worship service, through our, through our liturgy, through our singing, through our praying, and through the scriptures, that we're messed up people. And you know what we never do? And I'm just, we're just being honest here. We never talk about it. Not like really. And maybe there's some reasons for that. You know, if we just went around the room saying, hey, how's your sin life going? You know, that's not a lot of fun. You know, church attendance will reduce at that point. We will shrink, right? And I get that. But there needs to be a safe place where we can say to one another, I'm sick and I need help. I cannot do this on my own. You know, what's interesting is a lot of people will say things like, um, they'll ask me questions like, do homosexuals go to heaven? Uh, or do they go to hell? Do people who commit suicide, do they go to hell? Do people who, um, who are sinning at the moment that they die, do they go to hell? Or do the people who had like four divorces, do they go to hell? You know, and these are the, I mean, as a pastor, I get these questions. And then you, I mean, I just give you like four or five, there's like a hundred more, right? Just insert whatever you want in that line. Does that cause you to go to hell? Guys, I want you to hear me very clearly. There's only one thing that separates you from God. And that's when you say to him, I don't want you in my life. When you say to Jesus, I don't need a doctor. That's the only thing. Now, are all of those things apart from God's design? Of course. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I don't want you to say, let's go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not the message of the story of Scripture. The message is, as we will see, that he is here to take our burdens upon him. He is here to invite us to walk with him. He, is, he compels us by his own love of us so that we may participate with him in the ministry of reconciliation. We're going to learn that all these next five weeks. But the thing that we need to understand and grow in right now is when we hear what Jesus says, self-righteousness is actually the sin. It is actually the one that will kill us all should we partake in it. The minute you look in the mirror and go, ah, pretty good, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I'm not saying not to, not to have self-confidence or to build up your self-esteem. Don't hear, no, that's, those are different things. That's called being who you are. That's called growing in who Jesus is making you into. All of those things are good, but you do it through him, by him, for him. 
not for you or by you or through whatever you do. Take a look at verse 13. Jesus said, go, he's saying to the religious people, he's saying to the people who build all the systems, you know, for example, the way you kept the Sabbath in their system was you tie a rope around your waist so you wouldn't go too many paces. And that was how they determined whether you were resting or not on the Sabbath. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we, Jesus is going to teach us this over the next five weeks. But he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he's quoting Hosea chapter 6 there. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Isn't that interesting? Most people think you have to be righteous before you can ever go to church. This is the lie the accuser comes to say. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to clean up your act before you go be with those people. Who do you think you are? Answer, child of God. The one who Jesus is calling. If you want to call me a sinner, so be it. So be it, accuser. Get out of my face. Jesus died for me. And he called me. And he wants me to come home. Just like the prodigal son. Just like a million prodigal sons and daughters over the a trillion of them over the history of the world, calling us home. He's out on the road looking for them, looking for you and looking for me. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That word mercy, if you go back to Hosea, is the Hebrew word chesed. And you've got to spit a little bit when you say it. chesed, right? That's what it is. And it means the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, unbreakable love of God. What he desires is that you and me would feel safe, would feel free, would feel and know that he loves you and me no matter what. And you know why? Because he does. He loves you and he loves me no matter what. There is no person who is too bad that God can't love him, and there's no person who is too good that they don't need his love. You and I all need his love. He says, I desire mercy. I desire chesed. I desire this thing which is just beautiful and wonderful and creates beauty and creates freedom and creates innocence and creates people who trust in the Lord and, are, and know who they are. They are blessed. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice there, he's talking about religious practices. He's talking about, do you do all the liturgy right? Do you, do, do you wear the right clothes? And we were talking about last night, do you wear your Sunday best to church? You know, what a, what a, what a devilish thing that was. And I'm not saying we have to all just wear jeans or whatever. You can wear whatever you want. The point is, when the idea behind Sunday best is so that you look good. Because you're blessed. You see how that works? You come here and you better look good. And now, you know, I had a, I had a pastor, my childhood pastor, he said, no, because I, I challenged him on this. Like, isn't that what it means? Like, no, no. It's called you care about worship, and so you want to... Fine, right? You hear what we're doing. The point is this. Jesus desires mercy, not religious practices. He desires love and grace and peace, not religious practices. Religious practices are very useful tools. We're doing them right now, and they're beautiful, but they're not the thing which saves us. Jesus, the who that saves us. He saves you and he saves me. And why did he save us? Because we have a lot to offer, because our resumes were so filled with the good. And no, 
because we are poor in spirit, we are blessed. One last passage, because this is going to set us on our path. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. We could study the Beatitudes all day long, and believe me, if you want to, just come with me. We'll go eat lunch together. We'll study all the Beatitudes. But in the meanwhile, I want to pick one more. Verse 8, where he says, The pure in heart, did you catch that? The pure in heart are blessed because they will see God. One of the motifs in the story of God is nobody's ever seen him except Jesus, who reveals him, who makes him known to you and to me. When we are pure in heart, that sounds like, oh, that's, i got to try hard again because my heart's not pure. Mm -mm. Hear his words to you. The poor in spirit, the poor in spirit, that's who's blessed. And when you hear those words and you believe them, do you know what happens to you? You are made pure. We saw that from 1 John chapter 1. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. When you hear the words and you believe them, when we walk in our life and we're, and we're in this tension, right? Because here's what happens. Have you, ever noticed why, if, have you ever noticed this? If you skip church for like a month, you feel yucky. And I know this because I skipped church for three weeks and it drove me nuts. I didn't actually skip it, but you know what I'm saying. We, we, we were actually not here at praise and worship for three weeks. And it just, you know, it's like, what? That's never happened in my five years here. And so it's like, wow. And when you skip church, when you're not with God and you're not hearing that, you, you drift, whether you want to or not. It's like you're in a car and drifting is not always good, Aaron. So, you know, you're drifting and you're just, Ugh, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't hold it on the road, right? That's because we are poor in spirit. But he says those who are pure in heart are blessed because they will see God. So this is what I want you to know. We are in tension. Love and justice meet at the cross. We're in tension of rest and work. We're here, we have rest. But Jesus says, you go, make disciples, right? We are here in comfort and challenge. We receive comfort, right? We do. God loves me no matter what. That is so comforting. And yet we're called to do something about that, right? There's a challenge given right behind it or right with it. Staying. Lord, it is good for us to be here, Peter said on Transfiguration Day, right? It's good for us to be here and going. It's a tension. Do we stay or do we go? Yes, right? That's what we do. And there's this, also this tension of receiving as we, as we have done and we will do as we partake of the bread and the cup of the body and the blood and being poured out just as Jesus was for you and for me. He invites us to participate in his own suffering in this world of sharing his love with those around us. It's a matter of the heart. I invite you to pray with me about this right now as we ask the Lord to guide us on this Lenten journey of receiving the fact that we have nothing to offer him and that's exactly how he wants it. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we cry out to you and we ask you to help us hear your words. They are many faceted and they are many layered and they are deep and they are wide. They are a joy and they are also challenging. Help us grow and understand that that's precisely the way you want it. You want us to come and to surrender, yes. And when we fail to surrender, you help us do it anyway. And when we do this, great. When we don't do it, great. You're just there helping us, picking us up when we fall, guiding us when we get lost, 
showing us what we need to see. Help us listen to your words and in such and so forth be grown and blessed by them. Lord, we pray right now that you would indeed help us make this a matter of the heart and that you would set our hearts right by giving us new hearts as the prophet Ezekiel predicted that you would when we would be sprinkled with the water and be brought into the kingdom that you have built and are yet building amazingly through us. And so, Lord, we pray and we ask you to guide us in this, giving us your grace, your mercy, and your peace all along the way and by the power of you, Father, in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.